Well, Father Jonathan, we are what halfway through Easter, fourth Sunday. Yeah, just about. Um, I was uh, thinking back on what we recorded last week, and you, and you said something that made me chuckle uh, when I was listening back over the recording, and that was how we so quickly move on. <laughs> from, yeah, oh, yeah, from the newness I mean, of the season. I think I think there may be a little bit of that today. Not gonna lie. You think that you're kind of spent on uh, the Easter stuff? No, well, yes, but no. But no. Okay. Well. But yes. Well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. I um. It might be just be that every time well, there's so much build up to the new thing, and then it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, mm-hmm. we've been in Lent for fifth for forty days. Finally, we get the resurrection. But yeah. it's like, how much? It's longer. Oh boy. Yeah. And it's, it's <laughs> which was the great thing last week. It's like, oh, Easter's longer. Easter's better than death. But, yeah. But it's longer. It, That's the other thing. It's also longer. <laughs> um. I just I don't know. I struggle a lot with these sorts of things just because it's um. It's it's very repetitive, and I don't want to just trivialize that none of this matters. But it's like, come on, how much more of the same kind of stuff, you know? Luckily, yeah. I will say, yeah. um, the the readings for the fourth Sunday, the gospel, refreshingly, and I think also the gospels for the following weeks are going to be from. They're all from John, but they're not from the resurrection appearances. Um, so it's like yeah. the one that we have yeah. from John ten this week, and then the following weeks is the same. There's more stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's a, a breath of fresh air there that we can just kind of focus on that. Um, and if you want to keep tying it into Easter, I guess you can, but you don't really have to, you know, like this, this gospel can really just stand on its own, you know, as, as yeah. a reflection. Um, but anyway, but before that, uh, just really quick, the third Sunday of Easter, any, uh, any residual takeaways from John chapter 21 and the jumping into no, the you know, sea of Tiberius? Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's fascinating. I heard from a number of, um, guys that I live with here at the community and other priests just in kind of group chats and things that I do that that gospel passage in particular is one that, and we kind of spoke to this a little bit last week that, you know, we all have our go-to interpretations, our go-to messages from, from that type of a gospel where it's so like iconic. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard to it's hard to break out of that, but at the same time, it's like, do you, do you need to break out of that? Like you've got the thing that you, that you believe and that you're motivated by and that you're, that you're enlivened by, like, shouldn't that be the thing that you preach about? Yeah. And it may be, and here's the thing, it may be that you're able to speak about that more efficiently, quickly, uh, footnote, uh, (laughs) Uh, than you would some other thing that you're just kind of mulling over at, in the you know in the moment. Especially if you're just trying to be clever or something and trying to find like yeah, exactly. some sort of exactly. in. Like don't, yeah, don't worry about that. Just speak from your own passion. Speak from your desire. Speak from the spirit that has clearly been work at work in your in your yeah. prayer. I will say John twenty one. Everyone that I talked to about it, it was like, oh my gosh, what a great gospel! What a great gospel! I I just maybe it's just because I don't really like Emmaus for me would have been a better gospel. I find so much more. I find myself so much more drawn into that one um, because the John chapter 21, I don't understand. And I was kind of preaching on this a little bit. Like, I don't understand what, like how to read that text. Like, are they going like, it's clearly an allegory. Like there's clearly an allegory happening here that the early church even commented on that. Like this is a post-resurrection church that the church goes out to be fishers of men. Although it's so like kind of like alluded to that, but it, it, I just kind of have a hard time grasping. Like, why are these guys fishing? Like what's, What's happened? Like, there's just an unnatural, yeah. like, move. No, yeah. There. I mean, I think, I think the fact that it it is so so similar to um, the account that we have in Matthew of pre-resurrection Jesus that it has to be something like that. You know, either one or the other. Yeah. You know, they can't both be true, and that you know that they're the same story. Sure. And true in the sense that this is the the actual 
chain of events. So there has to be something deeper, some like, what is the, the real truth behind, you know, what's going on? And I think it is that, you know, like there's, there is Fishers of Men is a very much, very much so a resurrection thing. Yeah. Like Jesus is dead and, and has been raised and now you are the church. So you have to go out and be, and be there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think you have to read it in that lens. Right. Right. One of the things I, one of the angles that I took, um, which I appreciated, but I also kind of struggled to, to, to really let it like sit in my own heart as something that was challenging me. Uh, but I hope maybe it was challenging to others, but, uh, was maybe the thing that, that was struck me about that Matthew connection is that since it is the same miracle and it's so similar I was wondering if there's something to be said about like not being open to new ways for God to surprise you. Um, like I kind of mm-hmm. was thinking about the disciples in the boat, maybe like remembering that miracle and mm. trying to force it again, mm. you, you mm. know, but like not having the connection with Jesus uh, for him to work the miracle, but being like, no, no, we saw him do this before we can do this. You know, um, yeah. I don't know. I kind of challenge that as an opportunity to think about how open are we to newness in our relationship with God and for him to, to do something un, unknown to us. Like even you and I both have had important grace experiences, but like, are you open to God doing something different? Uh, how, like, I don't know. I kind of leaned into that direction a little bit about the newness of the resurrection, new life, new life. Yeah. No, I like that. I also want to remember, you know, the, the principle of Ignatian repetition, right? Like there is clearly a repetition of prayer here, let's say. And in the first account, we are called to leave our bounty behind. Hmm. But then we do it again, and we are called to drag it with us, to carry it mm. with us. That's no, good. You know, it's, it's, it's bursting at the seams, but not yet tearing. Like, that's, there's something there, like, like okay, it's different for sure, um, but it's not, it, it doesn't, uh, it's not contrary to what, to what, um, to the grace that we received before. Yeah. No, yeah, but it's a deepening for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Anyway. Um, yeah, but that's good. So that for me probably was like the last Sunday of Easter. <laughs> Cause, <laughs> because now, okay. Cause now it's like we're in so John here, chapter 10. Yeah. So here's, here's a thought that I just had, let's say 10 minutes ago mm-hmm. and tell me what you think about it. I think it's okay. I don't think I'm like treading on any dangerous territory here. <laughs> I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> So this Sunday, fourth Sunday of Easter, our gospel is like five lines. It's very, it's very clear. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Yada, yada, et cetera, yada. Et cetera. It's so good. <laughs> the Father and I are one. Like this is pretty, I mean, this is fundamental stuff. Like you're not going to have your, you know, f- you know, your preacher is not going to unpack some great mystery of the faith that you've never thought of based on this. Like, this is this is what we teach from day one. Okay, okay. So what does that say about the Easter season, I wonder? Well, let's go with the understanding that we're, that we're moving from, from the resurrection, like from that Easter moment. So the gospel, in a sense, is presumed. And I, th- I mean, I've kind of hinted at this before. I don't know if I've said it explicitly this strongly, but like, I think the first reading, you know, I was going on about why are we reading from Acts? I missed the Old Testament, but like, yeah, Jesus is raised from the dead. Okay. What do we do? Like, this Mm. is the importance of the Acts of the Apostles. And I think Mm. that in a sense should be the focus of of how we preach. Yeah. 
um, because we're not trying to convince people that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Like that's the given. Hmm. You know what's interesting? Now that you're talking about this, I got, I I have in the recesses of my mind a memory of a conversation that we probably had on these topics before. I I think there's something to be said that all of the gospel, every chapter of the gospel, is a post-resurrection account. Yes, yes, 100%. And so 100%. it's always told from the perspective of the resurrection. So mm-hmm. with that in mind, how do you read John chapter 10? Like... <laughs> You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of what you're driving at is that like the resurrection is a presupposition for reading the gospel that these aren't, these aren't accounts that are being narrated and written down in the moment. It's like John chapter 10 was written after the events Mm -hmm. of John chapter 21. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's striking, especially in these, in these times and the times that we live where people are so divided against each other. It's the exact same thing that we're reading in, in the Acts. Like the, these factions are rising up and trying to throw each other off the cliff. Like the, things are not good. Mm-hmm. And what is the gospel? We are one. My mm. father and I are one. Wow. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. It's like, okay, there are going to be, there have been, and here's, spoiler alert, there will be further dissent, further division among you. Mm. But our message is the resurrection, yeah. that Jesus and the Father are one. And as we live in their, uh, 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 what am I trying to say here, in that relation, in that, in that sonship and daughtership, we too participate in that oneness. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I like that. And when and when we um, see the Gentiles and the Jews and the you know et cetera et cetera et cetera, it's like we're we're forgetting the very thing that we're supposed to be supposing, <laughs> which is the resurrection, right. which is the the unification. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. I I think it's a really Catholic thing for you to insist on union. Like it's one of the most Catholic things I think that sort of describes. Whenever there's a problem in the church, the Catholics always opt for, all right, how do we stay united? Like, that's that's a very Catholic yeah. response, I think, which I think is a really good thing. Like, it's a really good question. It's it's precisely coming from the gospel that we ask ourselves, how do we maintain unity? Because that is one of the fruits of the resurrection is that, you know, he breathes on the disciples and he gives them the spirit. He speaks to them in the plural, you know, that they mm-hmm. are to go out into all of the world and maintaining that unity and bringing in new people and it not being about division, but about union. Like the Council of Jerusalem in the book of Acts is precisely trying to figure out how to welcome the Gentile to make it clear that this is a bigger thing than just the limited scope of a few. Um, And so you're right. Like that's a very resurrection grace is that just as the Father and I are one, so we want you to be one. And, you know, he'll go on to say in John's gospel that we pray that you may be one. And that's the resurrected Jesus talking. Absolutely. And, you know, to take a, a page out of your book, like look at the Alleluia verse. It's a few few verses right before the gospel. I am the good shepherd, says the Lord. My sheep, I know my sheep and mine know me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Like there's a sense that we need to remember that it's Jesus that's the good shepherd and not the leader of the Gentiles, not the leader of the Jews, not the leader of the, you know, yeah. whatever. Like there's a, yeah, yeah. I don't want to ramble at that. No, that's that, good. That's good. Um, hey, one there's this really good good shepherd um, metaphor that I that yeah I, that I, think I like I really that. Like, um, I'm gonna pivot for a second and look at a couple things in the first reading that uh, stood out to me. Uh, the first one 
is to notice that we've actually moved away from Peter and we're now with Paul and Barnabas, mm-hmm. um, which yeah. I thought was just sort of an interesting uh, transition that kind of happened subtly uh, from the third week to the fourth week. Um, that much, I think many people don't know this, but that the book of Acts, like most of it is Paul. Like It's almost all Paul. Yeah, yeah, and it's a really cool thing that you get the narrative of the man who's going to contribute the majority of the text of the New Testament. Um, you get his narrative here, you know, and you get his story which is great. We skipped his conversion and we're just now in his mission. And so kind of a, maybe there's a question, maybe there's a reflection there too, is that the focus of, of resurrection and the focus of the Easter time is, it's not just the particular grace of Paul's conversion, but the fact that he's on mission, like his mission is what is put into relief, you know, um, his mission of the Gentiles. So that was one thing. And then the other thing I just wanted to maybe underline is this line that since you reject it and condemn yourselves as unworthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. I, I just, <laughs> I love the very stark like line in the sand. It's like, look, if you're going to reject the good news, <laughs> I'll go elsewhere. Yeah. And yeah. I'll go yeah. to he who will listen, you know? Um, I like that boldness. And that, that word boldness is there, that both Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas spoke out boldly. And that's such a grace of the resurrection is to be bold, you know, that they were locked away for fear of the Jews. And then they boldly went to proclaim the good news everywhere after meeting the risen Christ. And I think it's one of the graces of the resurrection that you could probably preach on in a time, you know, you know, I've been talking about this a lot, like in a time of such cowardice and a time of such fear and a time where Christians would rather hide their faith. It's like, well, if you're going to be a people of the resurrection, then you have to allow boldness to seep through, you know? Um, there may be a homily in there, especially one that's very relevant, that Christians are very much cowardly in our time and in our in our country, I think. That's a really good point. You know, and it's it's a, this idea that, you know, when you're, uh, yeah, like pe- people that do a lot of fundraising, there's a, there's a, you know, whose money do I take? Just anybody's? Well, no. Like if this person is doing clearly anti-Catholic things for a Catholic organization to take their money sends a very clear message, right? Yeah. And so this idea that, you know, I don't need your money. I don't need, if you're just going to condemn yourselves uh, of an, uh, you know, of an eternal life, well, okay, yeah, we'll go to the Gentiles who clearly are desiring something. Like we don't, we don't have to stay with, yeah, with whatever we think is the, is the better choice. No, that's a really, yeah, that's a good way Um, of putting it in a very concrete way that I think you and I have seen at work is like, yeah, no, no, no. Like people want to support our mission. It's like our mission or the mission of Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, that's great. That's great. And it goes back to that, that virtue of boldness. And I, I would love to, mm-hmm. the more we talk about it, I would probably think about maybe focusing my homily next week on what does that virtue of boldness look like? And, you know, not just using the word courage, because I think courage, you know, evokes a certain, I don't know, just a certain malaise because we hear it so much. But like boldness, that word really, I think, evokes in people a desire to change is that, because I think we yeah. all know and have examples from our own lives and in our own, you know, workplaces or homes of the opposite of boldness, whatever that is, you know. Um, and if we are a resurrection people, then can we boldly turn down money that is not, you know, for the kingdom? Can we turn down the people who reject eternal life? Can we boldly do so and proclaim something great, mm-hmm. you know, and to do so with joy, which is how the first reading ends. You know, they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's it. They shook the dust off their feet in protest and then they left. You know, it's like, boom, I'd love that. Uh, but I can't do that. I'm afraid to, you know, and maybe that's a problem. Maybe the resurrection hasn't really yeah. taken root in me. You know, it's interesting, as you have just said that you that we uh, have skipped over the conversion of St. Paul, like you just described it. Hmm. 
like it's it's embedded in in his message hmm. you know this idea of recognizing grace recognizing the work of jesus christ in our life and doing that with everything that you have yeah yeah and not worrying like he could have he could have lived a very i'm sure being the pharisee and the you know religious zealot that he was a very comfortable life but he chose a different path mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the path of truth the path of light yeah 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 you know this first re- i think i think this first reading is for me probably what i would preach on i think with like the boldness thing the paul and barnabas they're convert like so much good there there's another word here that i'm just really focusing on here and that is that the jews were filled with jealousy that's an mm. interesting mm-hmm. this is, i don't think it ever really occurred to me that they were jealous of paul and barnabas <laughs> Yeah. I knew that they were angry at yeah. them. They were seething and seeking to kill them. But the fact that they were jealous, that I mean, it's a it's an interesting thing that you've got these Christian, these Christians running around to the end, literal to the literal ends of the earth, preaching and proclaiming. Uh, I don't know that that I mean, you you hear you read in the Old Testament like the Hebrew people are very particular. They live in a certain place they you know they come from a certain line it's not something that anybody can just say oh i do that now yeah but with christianity it's like oh and and i can i can see how that would cause a certain amount of jealousy right like wait you mean you can just welcome anybody in yeah and there's excitement around that yeah also but also like their method like their (laughs) method also probably elicits some jealousy like they probably realize that they're not as good at this you know (laughs) but there's yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, hey, no, this is good. Um, I'm going to cut it short a little today just because I, I, I think that we've hit some good points and it's it's good uh, it's good yeah. content for me to, to reflect on. Um, so lots to pray on. Yeah. And I think we're transitioning in, away from Easter to more of those deep, like integrating, you know, the grace of Easter into us, which is good. Cool, buddy. Until next time, man. All right, pal. Peace.